the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Tuesday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. James Blend is producing and engineering today's program in Portland, and Pedro Bartez is engineering and producing in Seattle. Uh, in addition to the headlines we'll be covering today, we'll also share a conversation I had with uh, Dr. Gary Chapman. His book, God Speaks Your Love Language, the book is published by Moody. He'll be joining us in the second hour of today's program. First, some of the day's headlines. Negotiations between Israel and Hamas for a potential ceasefire and hostage release are in their final stages. The deal could include a potential hostage release as well as a temporary end to fighting to get humanitarian aid into the region. Israel's war cabinet was scheduled to meet this morning, Eastern Time, 11 a.m., to discuss a possible deal. It does appear the final details are being discussed toward a ceasefire that would end fighting in Gaza for up to five days and include the release of some hostages. Note some. Uh, That's what uh, Trey Yingst reported from Israel on Tuesday afternoon. We understand, according to Hamas leader um, Hinaya, that a deal is approaching. Reports indicate that it would include the release of dozens of Israeli and foreign citizen hostages that could include Americans. The hostages are expected to be only women and children and would be exchanged for Palestinian prisoners being held in Israel. Mark Regev, the senior advisor to Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, confirmed that any ceasefire would be temporary. It will only be a temporary ceasefire, he said. They need the time out, and as a result, we believe the probability of their agreeing to release our people has gone up. Once again, it's not done until it's done. I cannot tell you it's going to happen, but I believe the probability of it happening has gone up, end quote. Well, the current hostage release prisoner swap is being negotiated as a three-to-one ratio Yangst explained that Hamas leaders would release one hostage for every three Palestinians that Israel releases from its prisons. He said the hopeful news comes amid intense uh, battles in Gaza as Israeli forces work their way across the Strip. The Israeli military said it targeted 250 different Hamas sites over the past day, killing dozens of militants in that process. Um, Reuters uh, similarly reported that Hamas officials were close to reaching a truce agreement. That may not be the right word, but that's the one they chose with Israel. They also cited a statement from Ismail Hanaya. Uh, Gatari uh, med- mediators rather were previously seeking a deal for Hamas to release 50 hostages in exchange for Israel freeing some of its prisoners and a three-day ceasefire, Reuters reported. Details about how long the truce would last or how many hostages would ultimately be released were not immediately available. Hamas took about 240 hostages from Israel during its terror attack on the 7th of October when the group invaded Israel, killed approximately 1,200 people, mostly civilians. Following the terror attack, Israel launched a counterattack and a ground invasion into Gaza to annihilate Hamas. 
Well, the average price American families will have to pay to celebrate Thanksgiving with a traditional dinner will be the most expensive in history after years of sky-high inflation that experts attribute partially to the president's policies, according to data from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. The price of all goods has risen dramatically under Biden following a period of sustained high inflation, which peaked at 9.1 percent in March of last year and has since remained elevated, measuring at 3.2 percent in October, while the index for food rose 3.3 percent year over year for the month. The total increase in costs for a Thanksgiving dinner is about 26 percent since the beginning of the president's term, culminating in the most expensive Thanksgiving dinner in history. E.J. Dion, a research fellow at the Heritage Foundation's Grover M. Herman Center for the Federal Budget, told the Daily Caller uh, News Foundation earlier in the day, after two and a half years of abnormally high price increases, Americans are left with the most expensive Thanksgiving ever, he said. As the White House's mouthpieces like to say that Bidenomics in action, or that's Bidenomics in action, today higher prices are the direct result of the federal government's spending, borrowing and printing trillions of dollars, all urged on by the administration and made possible by their big spender allies in Congress from both parties and a complicit Federal Reserve. By the way, the price of turkey, the centerpiece of any Thanksgiving dinner, can be measured by the index for uncooked poultry, excluding chicken, which increased by 31.2 percent in price from January 2021 to October of this year, according to data compiled by the DCNF from the BLS. Okay, that's the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Um, Anyway, the um, uh, uh, data compiled by those organizations, sauces and gravies to go on that turkey, if you don't make it yourself, took a smaller hit, rising 14.6% in that same time period. Overall, prices have risen by an astonishing 7.17%. 0.1% since Biden took office in January of 21, according to the Federal Reserve Bank of St. Louis. In that same time, real wages have declined by 2.1%. Bread used for classic side dishes like stuffing and rolls has had its price increase by 26.1% from the beginning of the Biden term in October, according to the BLS. Potatoes, another item used for side dishes like mashed potatoes, rose by 14.6% in that same time period. Desserts, my favorite part, were hit hard under the president with frozen and refrigerated bakery products like pies, tarts, turnovers, jumping 31.8 percent since January of 21, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Similarly, cakes, cupcakes and cookies increased in price over the same period by 23.8 percent. Vegetables only by 8.9 percent. But who wants the vegetables? Just a thought. Well, the world is waking up to a stark reality that could affect tens of millions of Americans. The federal government may be unable to pay its bills sooner rather than later. Well, the financial situation is deteriorating so rapidly that the outlook on U.S. debt was downgraded a few days ago. That change was long overdue and highlights just how dangerous the situation is becoming for taxpayers and bondholders alike, including anyone with retirement funds. <coughs> I was hoping to retire in my lifetime. The nationally recognized statistical ratings organization, uh, Fitch, uh, downgraded the U.S. debt in August of this year, citing the federal government's completely unsustainable path of ever-growing deficits. The downgrade means that there is an increased likelihood of default, where bondholders don't get paid what they're promised or when they're promised. And while default usually means a borrower fails to make a payment to a lender by a promised date, Governments can also implicitly default by inflating their currencies, 
Under the administration, the dollar has lost more than 17 percent of its value and bondholders are now being repaid with devalued dollars. It's like the government only repaying 83 percent of what it promised. The federal government's financial situation has notably deteriorated in the three months following the downgrade by Fitch. That has prompted Moody's, another NRSRO, to downgrade its outlook of U.S. debt. A negative outlook means that the ratings of the debt itself will likely decline soon. Downgrading the outlook is like a warning to the debtor that things are moving in the wrong direction. And quite frankly, things are moving in the wrong direction. Well, the Commission on Presidential Debates announced the dates and locations for its 2024 presidential debates on Monday that will lead up to November's general election, which is now less than one year away. But there's no guarantee the GOP nominee will participate after Republicans severed ties following the 2020 debates. Well, CPD's first presidential debate is scheduled for Monday, September 16th at Texas State University in San Marcos, followed by debates in Virginia State University in Petersburg on Tuesday, October 1st, and at the University of Utah in Salt Lake City on Wednesday, October 9th. One vice presidential debate has been scheduled for Wednesday, September 25th in Lafayette College in Easton, Pennsylvania. All four forums for the 2024 general election will be 90 minutes long without commercial interruption, and each will begin at 9 p.m. Eastern time, according to uh, the announcement. According to uh, the co-chairs, Frank uh, Ferencopf and Antonia Hernandez, the United States general election debates watched live worldwide are a model for many other countries. The opportunity to hear and see leading candidates address serious issues in a fair and neutral setting. This tradition remains unbroken since 1976. Let's see if we can keep that record. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, the New York Times editorial board made a huge confession on Saturday. It came just days before Thanksgiving, so most Americans probably didn't notice. But uh, because, once again, some on the left are having to concede that conservatives were right, it's worth mentioning. Of course, the New York Times didn't admit that, but it did admit what we and many conservatives have said all along. The closure of our schools during the COVID pandemic was the biggest educational disaster in history. Okay, maybe not the biggest. I can think of a few others. We lost 20 years of progress in math and reading, we're now told. The Times editorial notes that the fallout will linger for years as chronic absenteeism remains a huge problem even now. For two years, children were told that school wasn't essential, and they got the message. As a result, economists are predicting that this generation, with such a significant education gap, will experience diminished lifetime earnings and become a significant drag on the economy. That's an actual quote. The worst part about all of this is that it was totally avoidable. This was a huge self-inflicted wound. It wasn't required by the reality of the health crisis we were facing. We knew children were at very little risk of serious illness and death from COVID. Children were far more likely to die from car accidents, drowning or cancer than COVID. That's why most European schools quickly reopened or never really closed at all. But every big city in America closed their schools because people like Anthony Fauci scared everyone to death. And the uh, left wing teachers unions acted like unions instead of um, teachers responsible for educating children. When the covid vaccine became available, teachers were given priority, sent to the front of the line to get the vaccines, just like first responders, because we needed them to go back to work. But they declined. Congress approved uh, nearly $200 billion to make our schools safer, but the unions demanded zero risk. 
It was uh, so bad that Joe Biden's CDC wouldn't issue school reopening guidelines without first getting approval from the teachers unions bosses. There was uh, one prominent political figure in America who kept saying, open the schools. That was Donald Trump. But Randy Weingarten, president of a major teachers union, accused Trump of playing with kids lives. Some even claimed it was racist to reopen our schools because, quite frankly, everything you agree with is or rather disagree with is racist. You can't really make this stuff up. It ended up that people who really didn't care about our kids were the uh, bureaucrats and, of course, uh, the radical teachers unions who deprives children of the education they desperately needed. Well, there's much more that could be said, but even the New York Times is now saying the quiet part out loud. Well, the Biden Justice Department is taking some heat after appraising the conviction of a 75-year-old pro-life activist for an alleged crime that took place three years ago, but so far ignoring hundreds of violent anti-Israel rioters that pepper sprayed police last week. Last week, U.S. Attorney for the District of Columbia, Matthew Graves, announced the conviction of Paula Paulette Harlow, she's 75, of Kingston, Massachusetts, for a federal conspiracy against rights and the Freedom of Access to Clinic Entrance Act, or FACE Act, uh, violations for participating in a protest at an abortion clinic in 2020, which, of course, today is sacred. Graves said Harlow and a group of eight others conspired to prevent fellow citizens from exercising their rights to receive and to provide reproductive health care, namely abortion. And he praised the conviction for a crime that could carry up to 11 years in prison and $250,000 in fines. But some critics are crying foul, noting that Graves has yet to con- uh, condemn or preview possible prosecution efforts for roughly 200 pro-Palestinian activists, some armed with pepper spray who violently rioted rather at the Democratic National Committee headquarters and injured six Capitol Police officers. On November 15th, Texas uh, Attorney General Ken Paxton is opening an investigation into media matters for potential fraudulent activity after ex-CEO Elon Musk accused the left wing media watchdog group of manipulating data on the social media platform. After a slew of advertisers, including IBM, Apple, Disney, Lionsgate and Paramount filed uh, rather fled X, formerly known as Twitter, Um, Musk pledged to hit the watchdog group with a thermonuclear lawsuit. Media Matters published a report on Friday accusing X of placing ads next to white nationalist hashtags. However, Musk believes that the group completely misrepresented the real user experience in order to mislead advertisers. Republican Missouri Attorney General Andrew Bailey posted on Sunday that his legal team was looking into the matter. Now Paxton is launching an official investigation with his office after being extremely troubled by the allegations. We'll see where this um, thermonuclear challenge goes. Well, the Biden administration under fire for tying billions in infrastructure funds to woke priorities and internal memorandum circulated among lawmakers by Senate Commerce Committee Republicans highlights how the administration is tying billions of dollars in taxpayer funds to woke initiatives. The memo, first obtained by Fox News Digital, was sent last Monday evening and spearheaded by uh, Commerce Committee ranking member Ted Cruz uh, out of Texas, 
who's planning to author legislation that would prohibit the Department of Transportation from tying federal funds to left-wing priorities. It particularly targets the Department of Transportation's management of three grant programs that serve as key vehicles to fund various types of surface transportation projects nationwide. Billions upon billions of taxpayer dollars meant for infrastructure projects are tied to woke initiatives that are more focused on dismantling America's infrastructure in the name of equity and climate change than building roads, bridges and highways to connect the country, the memo states. Congress must not allow the Department of Transportation to push the absurd concept of racist roads to prevent Americans from getting much needed improvements to their highways, it continued. The funding notices um, Uh, issued by the Department of Transportation should focus on the law as written, not woke priorities, end quote. In June, Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg announced that his agency had started accepting applications for the National Infrastructure Project Assistance Infrastructure for Rebuilding America, or INFRA, and Rural Surface Transportation Grant Programs. The three programs received a collective $5.6 billion boost, most of which supports the INFRA under the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act of 2021. Buttigieg says the grants eventually awarded under the programs would support transformational infrastructure projects rather across the nation. But the notice of funding opportunity the Department of uh, Transportation issued as part of its grant Awarding process um, states recipients must broadly address equity and climate concerns. A freshman member of the House Freedom Caucus is calling for a sit down between GOP hardliners and Republican lawmakers who are leading talks on government spending. It comes after some of those same hardliners banded together to tank a procedural vote on the spending bill dealing with the Departments of Justice and Commerce last week. Representative Eric Burleson, a Republican out of Missouri, said the discord wasn't a conventional back and forth between leadership and rebels, but rather two starkly divided groups of House Republicans. What I think is the real fight is not between the conference and Speaker Johnson. It's the conference against the conference. Burleson, who didn't vote to sink the bill, but voted against the House GOP's government funding extension last week, said there is a vast chasm between the mentality of many of the appropriators who seem to have no appetite for making significant cuts and folks like us in the Freedom Caucus. End quote. Lawmakers on the House Appropriations Committee are tasked with cobbling together the 12 spending bills needed to fund the federal government in the next fiscal year. A Florida Republican lawmaker is introducing a bill to bring congressional authority over the International Monetary Fund and prevent the body from giving cash to American adversaries. Representative Scott Franklin out of Florida is expected to introduce the IMF Accountability Act today which aims to give Congress more authority over how the body allocates a special drawing rights and lends money. The bill would prohibit representatives of the United States from voting at the International Monetary Fund for any special drawing rights allocations, quota increases or policy modifications that would benefit certain countries and for other promise, uh, purposes. Rather, Franklin's bill aims to prevent the IMF from giving funds to American adversaries like China, Iran, North Korea, and others. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Coming up in the second hour of today's program, a conversation with Dr. Gary Chapman, author of God Speaks Your Love Language. The book is published by Moody. He'll join us in the five o'clock hour. Well, the slow demise of green energy. Kristen Walker writes that the wheels are starting to fall off the green energy bandwagon. 
The rose-colored glasses are clearing up and reality is sinking in. The giant push toward a net-zero utopia is not practical and has been a complete disservice to the American consumer. She points out that components of the green movement are experiencing major setbacks, namely offshore wind, electric vehicles, and investments. Offshore wind projects are struggling to secure financing and stay on track. The biggest blow came last month when the world's largest offshore wind developer, Orsted, canceled two major projects off the New Jersey coastline, taking the wind right out of Governor Phil Murphy's green energy sales. Orsted is also suspending work on offshore projects in Maryland and Delaware. Among the waves of cancellation are projects in Massachusetts, Rhode Island, New York, and Connecticut. Several other projects are on the ropes, and a host of companies are paying millions to break their contracts. The industry hit another snag recently when Germany-based Siemens uh, Gamesa Renewable Energy pulled the plug on its wind turbine blade facility in uh, Portsmouth, Virginia, Siemens uh, Gamesa. One of the world's leading suppliers says development milestones to establish the facility could not be met, end quote. Well, according to Bloomberg NEF, at least half of U.S. wind contracts have or are at least uh, being terminated, uh, at risk of being terminated. The causes are typically due to skyrocketing inflation, high interest rates, choked supply chains and financial troubles. The EV market is also losing steam. Sales are slumping and manufacturers are scaling back on production. Ford Motor Company stands to lose $4.5 billion on its EV business in 2023 and will be delaying many of their EV investments. General Motors said it was restructuring EV goals. Honda shelved plans to develop affordable EVs with GM. And Hertz said it will slow its uh, rate of purchasing them due to the high repair costs. Elon Musk is even considering putting off plans for a billion-dollar plan In Mexico, most, if not all, manufacturers are reporting major losses per EV sold. The World Economic Forum says that getting to net zero by 2050 will cost an extra $3.5 trillion a year. The U.S. has already poured hundreds of billions into the effort and continues to keep shoveling it in, all on the backs of the American taxpayer, to save a mere fraction on temperature. Maybe. Statisticians estimate that even if all fossil fuels were eliminated from the United States, not even 0.2 degrees Celsius would be salvaged. According to a new poll, 77 percent of Democrats favor abortion. That will be a challenge in this upcoming election. The Wall Street Journal reports that new results from the uh, Wall Street Journal NORC poll show American support for abortion access is at one of the highest levels on record since nonpartisan researchers began tracking it in the 1970s. Some 55 percent of respondents say it should be possible for a pregnant woman to obtain a legal abortion if she wants to for any reason. Since the Supreme Court overturned Roe versus Wade and ended the constitutional right to the procedure, abortion rights groups have notched seven consecutive victories in state ballot initiatives. They include an Ohio measure earlier this month to protect abortion under the state's constitution. Behind these successes is a decades-long shift among Americans in support of access to the procedure. About 77 percent of Democrats in the new polls say they support access to abortion for any reason, up from 52% back in 2016. Well, new security camera footage from the Shifa Hospital in the Gaza Strip shows Hamas terrorists moving civilian hostages into the building. The medical center also serves as a command center. There are currently 240 hostages being held by Hamas and other terrorist organizations after they were abducted in Israel on the 7th of October. The hostages are from more than 30 
countries, including the United States. In the video that the IDF released, take note of the blue scrubs worn by Shifa Hospital medical professionals. Hamas terrorists have been openly operating in the Shifa Hospital. The medical professionals there knew it. Uh, We knew it. And now the world knows it and has seen it. New York University says it will launch a center dedicated to studying and combating anti-Semitism as U.S. universities grapple with strident anti-Israel active activities that Jewish students say often veers toward uh, discrimination. The Center for the Study of Anti-Semitism will research both classical anti-Jewish discrimination and the new anti-Semitism and its links to anti-Zionism. New York City uh, President uh, New York University President Linda Mills said in a statement on Wednesday, NYU said the anti-Semitic uh, center, anti-Semitism center rather, would investigate the ways anti-Semitism and other forms of discrimi- discrimination feed into each other. In addition to research, the center will conduct training at the university and elsewhere to guard against anti-Semitism and other forms of hatred and will engage with non-academics, including members of the media, law enforcement and government. For those who follow drug use trends, 1979 was known as the high watermark of dangerous and illegal drug use, with 14.1% of our population regularly abusing drugs. And while we surpassed our 1979 use record by nearly 20%, we're seeing a greater than 3,000% increase of drug poisoning deaths. And yet, despite this horrific milestone, you never hear about the fentanyl crisis outside of an occasional story here and there on border policy debates. Recall how the AIDS crisis saturated our attention in the 1980s and 90s. And the worst year of that tragedy, 1995, 50,000 Americans died. And we rightly paid a huge amount of attention. High school and college students were fed a constant diet of warnings and information. News programs, theatrical plays, Hollywood marches. Um, fundraising walks, ribbons, and a national memorial quilt all deployed to educate on uh, on and give attention to the AIDS crisis. Now, for perspective, consider that we've lost 110,000 Americans to drug poisonings last year, an increase from 106,000 the year before. That's more than double the AIDS crisis at its height. We're losing more Americans to drug death than we ever did to AIDS, and it's not even close. Or consider the COVID-19 pandemic. We shut down schools. We shut down um, after-school programs. We enforced masking of children. We uh, shamed. For COVID, we messaged everywhere to everyone, though the impact was mostly felt by our children. Yet, throughout the COVID-19 pandemic, we lost about four times more children to drug poisoning than to COVID. Which brings me to a local story. A uh, Harney County judge on Tuesday permanently blocked Oregon from enforcing gun control measure 114, ruling it infringes on the constitutionality, uh, constitutionally protected right to bear arms in the state. The state's expected to appeal that ruling and the case will likely end up before the Oregon Supreme Court. Circuit Judge Robert uh, Rascio found that the two major provisions of the voter approved measure, a permit to buy a gun and a a ban on the sale, transfer and manufacture of magazines holding more than 10 rounds both violate Article 1, Section 27 of the state's constitution. Well, despite the argument by state lawyers and the new regulations were intended to reduce mass shootings, suicides and homicides, Ratio said that they failed to show either provision would promote public safety. He found that a 30-day window to process a gun permit application would restrict the right of Oregonians to defend themselves if facing an imminent threat. 
Well, yet another arm of the Democratic Party got uh, rattled by nearly 1,000 anti-Israel protesters at a convention held in Sacramento on Saturday. Demonstrators barged into the Safe Credit Union Convention Center and opened doors to let in more people. Security breach that prompted officials to clamp down and nix some experts, some events scheduled for the evening to move forward. Protesters reportedly marched around the convention center with Free Palestine signs, chanting for a ceasefire in the Gaza Strip and criticizing President Biden over his administration's support of Israel and its fight against Hamas after terrorist attacks on Israeli soil last month. Demonstrators reportedly blocked delegates from entering or exiting the building. Well, the media is trying to downplay the effects and the impact of shoplifting. We'll get into that in just a few moments, but I do need to take a break. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Just a reminder, coming up in our second hour, Dr. Gary Chapman. He's the author of God Speaks Your Love Language. Um, the book is published by Moody, and he'll be our guest at 5 o'clock. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Reminder, in a 5 o'clock hour, we've got a guest, Gary Chapman, Dr. Chapman, author of God Speaks Your Love Language. Well, the media is trying to downplay the effects or the impact of shoplifting. It has uh, had an outsized impact on discussions about crime that's been exploited by justice reform opponents. One professor argued on Friday, Brooklyn College sociology professor Alex Vitali uh, was one of multiple professors and researchers who discussed with CNN Growing concerns over the rise in retail thefts as more stores have closed or moved out of large cities. Vitali insisted, however, that the concern is usually overblown. Historically, shoplifting has always had this outsized impact on public discourse, he said. He added, we see examples on video of behaving badly and it gets invested with all this extra meaning about the collapse of social order. Well, the National Retail Federation found that retail's Across the um, retailers, rather, across the nation lost one hundred and twelve point one billion dollars in revenue due to theft in 2022, with Los Angeles, San Francisco and New York City being among the most affected cities. In addition, major store brands such as Target and Walmart have shuttered multiple stores, citing retail crimes and annual losses as a factor. These people no longer feel the need to hide their faces because they know there are zero consequences. Shoplifting panic. It's just a panic, guys. Don't believe your lying eyes, said one observer of this new phenomenon. President Biden invoked a Cold War era law in a surprising move on Friday to pour taxpayer funds into domestic manufacturing of electric heat pumps, an alternative to gas powered residential furnaces. In a joint announcement with the White House, the Department of Energy said the federal government would award an historic one hundred and sixty nine million dollars for nine projects across 15 sites nationwide in an effort to accelerate electric heat pump manufacturing. The significant level of funding was made possible after the president utilized the 1950 Defense Production Act to increase domestic production of green energy technologies. The action Friday comes less than two months after the Department of Energy issued new regulations targeting traditional home gas-powered furnaces as part of its climate agenda and broad effort to curb greenhouse gas emissions. The last time Biden used the DPA, the Defense uh, Production Act, it was to boost lithium mining and production in the United States and relax tariffs rather on China's solar panels. Those were also completely illegitimate actions. The DPA was written to allow the president to influence domestic industry in the interest of national defense. But this White House has effectively declared climate change to be a national emergency, and they're tipping the scales in favor of green energy using every bit of leverage they can manage. 
even given what uh, we reported on earlier in the program. The Iowa Board of Regents recommended Thursday to eliminate diversity, equity, and inclusion programs at the state universities, except for DEI programs that are necessary for federal compliance. Republican Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds signed a bill in June to initiate a comprehensive study and review of DEI uh, programs and efforts of each institution of higher learning, according to the state legislature's website. Uh, The Board of Regents President Michael Richards appointed a group to review the DEI programs in March and the Iowa Board of Regents last week recommended to eliminate any functions of the uh, program that are not necessary. Well, Black Friday is coming, but are the famous sales and savings coming with it? Well, it looks like it. According to the personal finance company Wallet Hub, Black Friday's savings won't be as big as some um, on some categories of items as they have been in the past. Indeed, 35% of items won't be any cheaper than they were prior to the sale. Wallet Hub notes that the three worst categories for finding sales will be Computers and phones, electronics and furniture. Meanwhile, the best deals can be found in home appliances and apparel uh, with discounts uh, from 28 to 32 percent off sticker prices, respectively. The stores uh, reporting the biggest discounts include Belk, Costco, Dell and Macy's. While Target and Home Depot come in with the least discounted items. Last Black Friday, 102, uh, 112.7 million Americans went to stores in person with an additional 130.2 million shopping for deals. Online. Well, speaking of Biden inflation, Americans 401ks have shrunk by an average of 4%, thanks in large part to folks having to dip into their retirement savings early in order to pay the bills. On average, Americans 401k plans dropped from 112,400 in the second quarter down to 107,700 in the third quarter. IRAs also declined from 113 to 109, this in the thousands. Yet the administration continues to insist the economy is oh so good. The trouble with early withdrawal is that one not only loses savings, but often will be liable for taxes on that withdrawal. Talk about frustration, shelling out more of your hard-earned cash to a government that can't seem to stop spending money like a drunken sailor, causing inflation to remain oh so high. Well, the purpose of the military is to defend the nation against foreign enemies ever since the Obama administration. However, the Department of Defense has increasingly used the military as an incubator for a woke agenda. And under Joe Biden, that has only gotten worse. Case in point has been Biden's spending on a diversity, equity, inclusion and accessibility agenda. In short, it's the Biden administration's effort to Uh, disseminate Marxist critical race theory through the military. The taxpayer funding is spreading the anti-American ideology and has been increasing year over year, with the Pentagon spending upwards of $270 million on DEIA since 2022. Republican Representative Mike Walls out of Florida, himself a decorated U.S. Army veteran, warned our military is not focused on lethality. They're focused on diversity and climate. They're going to Uh, That's going to result in our enemies not fearing us and respecting us as they should. He further observed that government officials holding the keys to power, those with their finger on the nuclear button or on incredibly powerful surveillance capabilities, are being indoctrinated, that our civilian institutions are inherently racist and are systematically misogynistic and have a colonialist past and therefore bad. Certainly not worth defending with one's life. Forty-five days ago, Hamas launched a barbaric attack on Israel, and the terrorist organization has been reaping the whirlwind ever since. To be sure, though, so have many innocent civilians in Gaza who've been used by Hamas as human shields. And yet, according to Fox News, a five-day ceasefire 
may be on the horizon. A ceasefire that would include the delivery of humanitarian aid and the release of some of the number of hostages. We'll continue to follow that story if and as it develops. People um, who get into the government to get they let me start over. People get the government they deserve. Let's go with that. And New Yorkers who had a chance last year to oust their big government uh, uh, leftist governor, Kathy Hochul, for a popular and highly regarded small government conservative, Lee Zeldin, are getting their goods um, handed to them. And the New York Post reports New York once again has the dubious distinction of being labeled the last free state in America, rather the least free state in America, according to a report issued by a libertarian-leaning think tank, the Cato Institute. The Empire State ranked dead last, 50th, for policies impacting economic, social, and personal freedoms in 2022, the report claims. In contrast, the free state of Florida ranked second in the report, uh, perhaps fitting behind only the live-free-or-die state of New Hampshire as the most free state in the Union. It is uh, little wonder, said the report's authors, that New Yorkers are fleeing to the state in droves. New Yorkers have been voting with their feet for years, and who can blame them? Well, we've got news uh, coming up here at the top of the hour. When we return, a conversation with Dr. Gary Chapman, author of God Speaks Your Love Language. So stay with us. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We know because the scriptures tell us that God is love. But if God is love... Why doesn't everybody feel loved by him? Why do some people claim to experience God's love very deeply, while others even question whether or not he exists? The problem, my next guest says, is that some people are looking in the wrong direction. Well, we're going to be talking with uh, best-selling author Gary Chapman and his book that's been re-released, God Speaks Your Love Language, How to Experience and Express God's Love. Well, Gary Chapman is an author, speaker, pastor, and counselor. He has a passion for helping people form lasting relationships. And he's the best-selling author of the Five Love Languages series and director of Marriage and Family Life Consultants, Inc. He travels the world presenting uh, seminars and his radio programs air on more than 400 stations. He joins us once again today to talk about the um, re-release of his book, God Speaks Your Love Language, How to Experience and Express God's Love. Gary Chapman, thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you, Georgine. Good to be with you. It's always nice to have you on the program. Well, let's begin by reviewing for those who are perhaps familiar with the five love languages and introducing to others who are not what love languages are um, and uh, why it's important, what the premise is behind that. Yeah, in human relationships, what I discovered years ago is that what makes one person feel loved doesn't make another person feel loved. And so we can be sincerely loving someone, but they don't feel loved because we're speaking our own love language. That is what makes us feel loved rather than what makes them feel loved. So I discovered in my counseling after years of counseling, uh, fundamentally, uh, five basic love languages. And uh, they are just briefly uh, words of affirmation using words to affirm the other person. You look nice in that outfit. Really appreciate what you did. Uh, There's acts of service, doing something for them that you know they would like for you to do. In a marriage, that would be such things as cooking meals, washing dishes, washing cars, mowing grass, changing the baby's diaper, (laughs) anything you know the other person would like. Uh, For these people, actions speak louder than words. And then there's gifts. It's universal to give gifts as an expression of love. The gift says, they were thinking about me. Look what they got for me. And then quality time. 
giving the person your undivided attention. These are the people who enjoy long conversations, taking walks together and talking, going out to eat together and looking at each other and talking. And then there's physical touch. We've long known the emotional power of physical touch. So the basic idea is that each of us has a primary love language. That is one of those five speaks more deeply to us emotionally than the other four. And so if you want to be effective in communicating love and thus meeting the deep need we have for love, you learn how to speak the other person's language. And when you each speak each other's language, you fill the love tank and you genuinely feel secure in each other's love. That's the heart of that original book. Now, how do you discover not only your primary love language, but the love language of others to whom you want to extend love in an effective way? Well, there's two or three uh, informal ways. One is observe their behavior and your own behavior. How do you typically relate to other people? If you're always giving people pats on the back and high fives, physical touch is probably your language because you're speaking your own language, and you can observe that in someone else. Or what do you complain about? The complaint reveals the love language. If you're saying, for example, in a marriage, you're saying to your spouse, I just feel like we don't have any time together anymore. I feel like we're ships passing in the night. You're complaining about not having quality time. Or if, you're, if your spouse says, I don't think you would ever touch me if I didn't initiate it, they're telling you physical touch is their language. So listen to the complaints, your own and the other person's. And then what do they request most often? Again, the request reveals the love language. If you're saying periodically to your spouse or to a friend, can we take a walk? You're asking for quality time. Or if you say when your spouse is getting ready to go on a business trip, be sure and bring me a surprise. <laughs> You're asking for a gift. You put those three things together, observe behavior, or they complain about, or they request most often. You can figure the other person's love language. But, of course, you can go online and take a free quiz at 5lovelanguages.com. Uh, there's a quiz there for married couples, one for single adults, one for military couples, one for teenagers. Uh, and you take a little quiz, and uh, it'll tell you what your primary love language is. Now, in the book that we're talking about today, God Speaks Your Love Language, you take the concept of the love language and apply it to our relationship with God. Uh, Does God have a primary love language, or is he, as you put it, fluent in all of them? You know, that's the question that led me to write this book. People kept asking me, what is God's primary love language? What is God's primary love language? So I just went through the whole Bible looking for ways that God expressed his love. And, of course, the Bible's full of that. That's really the story of the Bible, mm-hmm. God loving us. And I found God speaks all five of them, as you said, and he speaks them fluently. But here's what I also discovered. Pretty clear examples of where God speaks our love language, and that's what draws us to himself. For example, you take the Old Testament character of Jeremiah. Here's what Jeremiah said. He said, your words came to me, and I ate them, and they were the joy and delight of my heart. (laughs) It was words from God that sunk deep into the heart of Jeremiah. And a little later in his life, when he was discouraged, he said, I'm not going to talk about God anymore. I'm just not going to speak anymore in his name. But then he said this, his word was in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I am weary with holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. (laughs) So it was the word of God that he responded to and the word of God that caused him to speak out for God. And so there are examples in the Old and New Testaments of how people encountered God 
And, and there's also examples in church history and in the contemporary Christian world. And so I, I give many of those stories in the book of how people actually came to Christ as he spoke their love language. Hmm. Now, oftentimes we know because the scripture teaches that God is love and that he loves us, but we don't necessarily feel, which isn't the best way I suppose to determine truth. We don't necessarily feel um, that he loves us. How do we uh, better understand and recognize the love of God that is always being expressed toward us and poured out on us? Well, I think we have to look in the right direction. You know, often, especially if we're going through difficult times, we turn away from God. We say such things as, well, if God's a God of love, why did he let this happen to my friend or happen to me? And so we turn away from God and we look at the problem. We look at the stress. We look at the pain we have rather than looking to God. The Bible's filled, Old and New Testament, with people who went through difficult times, painful times, unfair things happened to them. You either look toward God in the midst of your pain, or you look at the pain and the problem. And when you're looking at the pain and problem, you likely are going to continue to slide into depression, feelings of depression. There's no hope. Everything's bad. Even God's not breaking in here. But if you look to God, you know, the scriptures say, God said, if you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart, you look in God's direction, you're going to find God because God is looking in your direction. And especially helpful, if you know your love language, to think in terms of looking for God speaking your love language, because he will, and he likely already is. It's just that you're so preoccupied with the pain and hurt in your life that you're not listening to what he's saying. Mm. Now, in your earlier writing, you helped people to identify what their love language is. Um, Is our love language the same with God as it is with our human relationships, Um, Or can they be different and varied? I think it tends to be the same. For example, those who have physical touch as their primary love language in human relationships are the people who typically will have dramatic conversion experiences, like Saul on the road to Damascus. It was physical. He fell to the ground. He was blinded. God got his attention. And you will hear people say even today, I was just sitting there in church. And all of a sudden, my body started shaking, and I started weeping, and I felt God's arms around me. It was a physical thing for them, but not everybody has that kind of experience. You know, a quality time person is far more likely to come to God over a period of time. They start reading the Bible, maybe reading the gospel to see what the life of Jesus was like. And then they start reading Christian books, maybe going to Bible study. And then one morning in a quiet place, they just realize, I believe I believe it wasn't a physical thing. Their body wasn't touched by it. It's that this sitting down and listening to God and reading about God brought them to a place of faith in God. So I think, yes, I think our love language in human relationship tends to be our primary love language in our relationship with God. We're going to continue our conversation with Gary Chapman. Again, we're talking about his book, God Speaks Your Love Language, How to Experience and Express God's Love. Quick break. We'll be back. So stay with us. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. 
is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're talking with Dr. Gary Chapman. He's an author, a speaker, a counselor. He has a passion for people and helping us form lasting relationships. He's a number one New York Times bestselling author of The Five Love Languages, and he's the director of the Marriage and Family Life Consultants, Inc. Uh, We're talking about his book, God Speaks Your Love Language. It was originally released in 2002. It's now been revised and updated for today's generation and includes an all-new chapter. So we're enjoying uh, this revision that brings up to date uh, this very important subject. Well, let me ask you how our interaction with other people is a reflection of our interaction and relationship with God. You know, this is an interesting part of the study uh, in this book, and that is that once we become true believers, we tend to express our love to God by our love language. So, for example, if acts of service is my love language, I will express my love to God by serving other people in the name of Jesus. I'm the one that volunteers to work in the soup kitchen. I'm the one who volunteers to go mow someone's grass. Because in my mind, this is the way you show love. You show love by actions. But a words person, if, if words of affirmation is their language, they will tend to express their love to God in words, in their prayers, in songs, perhaps even writing uh, things or speaking. I use Martin Luther as an example of this. You know, he came to Christ because he read in Romans 1, the just shall live by faith. And he was working hard to become accepted by God. And he said, when I read that, paradise broke in my soul. It was the word of truth that spoke to him. So what did Martin Luther do with his life? He poured out words to God. He wrote commentaries. He wrote hymns. He wrote sermons. He wrote the 95 Theses. It was words, 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 words. And so I think when we understand this, it helps us in two ways. One, we're less likely to condemn someone else who's expressing their love to God in a different way from us. And also, it gives us an awareness that these love languages, I can be the hands of God, the voice of God, in speaking the love of God to people if I realize that people have different love languages. So if I know their love language, I can communicate or seek to communicate the love of God in a language that's meaningful to them. So it has a lot of implications, both in our conversations with other people, as well as our heart reaching out to love God. Well, let's apply that to God expressing his love toward us. We know in his word what he says about that, and we believe it because it's God's word and he can be uh, trusted. But in recognizing the love of God that's lavished upon us in ways that we probably rarely recognize, how can we best Uh, position ourselves to appreciate um, that love if we are perhaps fixed on what our language is? Well, I think two things. One, I think if we understand what our love language is, as we read the Bible, we're going to be drawn to those places where God speaks our language. For example, if gifts is your love language, you're going to see the things that God is giving you. For example, the gift of eternal life, the gift of forgiveness of sins, not just material gifts, but these things that we could not have for ourselves. And if this is your love language, those things are going to deeply move you to be responsive, to love God, because you see him loving you. And uh, on the other hand, uh, if a quality time is a person's love language, These are the people who are going to enjoy extended times with God. They can have an hour-long quiet time reading the Bible, 
responding to God, talking to God about what they're reading. Someone else would say, an hour? How do you spend an hour? I mean, I, I, I spend 10 minutes. That's all I can do. <laughs> so uh, it becomes easier. It's more natural for us to express our love in our love language. But if we if we realize there are these other languages, we can begin looking for God speaking those languages as well mm-hmm. and realize that God loves all of us equally. And he loves us so much that he personalizes his expressions of love to us. You sort of describe that as a new dialect of our primary love language. Explain what you mean by that. And I think it, again, helps us to broaden our, uh, our understanding and perspective of God's expression of love toward us. Yeah, I think this, uh, Georgine, uh, you know, when we first become Christians and we start loving God, let, let's say acts of service is our language. Mm-hmm. We volunteer to work in the soup kitchen. So I go down there on Thursday night, I'm dipping beans, but when I look up in the face of the man in front of me, I see Jesus, because I remember Jesus said, when you do it to the least of these, you do it to me. Oh, it's so exciting to me, serving beans to Jesus. (laughs) That was 10 years ago. Okay, I still go to the soup kitchen, but now I'm not thinking about God. It's, It's just what I do on Thursday night. I go down there and dip beans. You see, it gets to be routine, and we lose the, the sharpness of it. And so what I'm suggesting is, I'm not saying stop going to the soup kitchen. I'm just saying use some other dialects of your language. Mm-hmm. If acts of service is your language, maybe go volunteer to mow the grass of someone who's in the hospital. Maybe go in the fall and rake leaves for the elderly. Go, go do some things. You know, it's the same language, but it's different dialects of that language. And when you do, it's alive, it's awake, because it has not become routine for you. And then I also suggest Maybe try speaking some of the other love languages to God. It won't be as comfortable for you as your natural language, but it it can be really meaningful to you if you stretch yourself. Let, let's say you're not a physical touch person, okay? But let's say that you, you, want to, you want to try to speak this language. You go to a nursing home, and you're walking down the hall where people are sitting in wheelchairs. Some of them can't even talk, but they grunt, ooh, ooh, ooh. You just reach over and put your arm around them and say, I love you, and God loves you. And you can see them melt in your lap, mm-hmm. you know, right there. Uh, so you, you stretch yourself. It seems a little awkward at first, but you can learn to speak these other languages. And as you do, your relationship with God stays alive and awake and vibrant. And that's what God wants it to be. Yeah, yeah. I want to close with this uh, question about the cross. And you make the point in the book that the cross is an example of God speaking all five love languages that um, we would do well to, to recognize. Yes, and I think when you really contemplate the cross, you do see all of that in them. You know, when Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Man, what an expression of love. Those words, if you reflect on them, he's being killed by these people, and he's praying that God will forgive them. Such love. And, and, and acts of service, it's the greatest act of service that has ever happened in history. He paid the ultimate penalty, death, for our wrongdoing so that God could forgive us and still be a just and holy God. Acts of service. And physical touch, You know, listen, they were destroying his body physically. They were, it wasn't, it wasn't love that, it was his love that sent him to the cross, but they certainly weren't loving him when they killed him. 
But when you notice the life of Jesus, you see him touching people all along the way. I mean, physically touching people. But on the cross, you see him loving his mother when he said to John, your mother, behold your mother, mother, behold your son. He's looking out for, he's doing an act of service for his mother, mm-hmm. and he's giving John a way to express his love to God through that. So you reflect and you find all the love languages at the cross. The cross is the central event that happened in human history when God took our place so we could be forgiven and be the children of God forever. Mm-hmm. It's the wonderful message of the yes. gospel. Yes. Once again, the book is titled God Speaks Your Love Language. It's been updated. There's a new chapter speaking to a new generation, how to experience and express God's love. Dr. Chapman, thank you so much for all that you do and for being with us here today. Well, thank you, Georgine. It was great to be with you again. You keep up the good work. Thank you. Bye-bye. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, the truth is just about every country has a national day, a holiday, when citizens stop to honor their constitution or celebrate a monarch's birthday or recall their day of liberation from colonial rule or something like that. The United States isn't unique in celebrating its Independence Day, but Thanksgiving is something else. Only a few other countries set aside a day of Thanksgiving. And most of these are harvest festivals. They're celebrations that trace their origins back to when life um, um, beat to the rhythm of the agricultural cycle. Well, America's Thanksgiving holiday is something different. We live in a less religious age than did the pilgrims, sadly. But it would be a mistake to claim, as some have, that Thanksgiving is not religious. It is that rarest of religious holidays, one that all religions can celebrate. The pilgrims came to the shores seeking freedom to worship as they pleased. And on Thanksgiving, Americans of all faiths and of none can give thanks that um, they found it. Thanksgiving has grown up with the country. Many of our greatest historical figures are associated with it. George Washington, who proclaimed the first national Thanksgiving amid controversy over his constitutional power to do so, and who included in his uh, proclamation Americans of every faith. Abraham Lincoln, who wanted to heal war-torn nation, the war-torn nation, uh, when he called for the Americans um, North and South to mark the same day of Thanksgiving, and Franklin Roosevelt, who set off a national debate when he changed the holiday's traditional date. Well, ordinary Americans played their part uh, as well. Sarah uh, Josepha Hale, the 19th century magazine editor who campaigned to make Thanksgiving a national holiday. The New England Indians who boycotted Thanksgiving in the 1970s, calling it a day of mourning. And the 92nd Street Y in New York City, which recently launched Giving Tuesday following uh, the long American tradition of remembering the poor and needy around Thanksgiving. Well, Thanksgiving says a lot about Americans and reflects our national identity as a grateful, generous and inclusive people. Now, I pause because I wonder, is that still true of us? It's certainly true of some of us. But as a nation, I wonder when an American takes his place at the Thanksgiving table or volunteers at a local food bank. He's part of a continuum that dates back to 1621 when the pilgrims and the Wampanoag Indians sat together for three days to share food and fellowship. The friendly coexistence between the English settlers and the Native Americans would last only a few decades longer, but that original Thanksgiving point rather pointed the way to a diverse people and the diverse people that we have become. One aspect of the holiday that Ben Franklin particularly admired was that it is a time for expressing gratitude for the full enjoyment of liberty and civil 
uh, uh, liberty, civil and religious, um, is one aspect of our national holiday. But as uh, those who are believers, followers of Jesus, we also find that Thanksgiving, not the date, not a, an occasion on the calendar, but the posture of Thanksgiving is a standing order of the gospel. First Thessalonians five sixteen through 18 says, Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. That's a hard pill to swallow. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in every circumstance, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Well, the truth is we can't do that on our own, but thankfully, mercifully, God has given us his spirit in order to make that possible, or at least for us to approach uh, with open hearts uh, to that goal. Well, writing over 100 years ago, Professor James Denny of Scotland called these three commands the standing orders of the gospel. They are standing orders because they're always apply- applicable to every Christian in every circumstance. Standing orders because they always apply to every Christian in every circumstance. Now, the Greek makes this very clear because these imperatives are all in the present tense. You could translate it continually rejoice continually pray and continually give thanks. That's our standing order. This is a great challenge. After all, we would um, have no problem if the text said something like rejoice sometimes when it suits us, pray occasionally when we're not inconvenienced, or give thanks when you feel like it. Well, it's the modifiers that, uh, that trip us up always, continually, in all circumstances. Now, this suggests that the real impact of the gospel will be seen when we don't feel joyful, when we don't want to pray, and when we can't think of a reason to be thankful. And yet, these are the standing orders of the gospel. That's when we discover if our Christianity is the genuine article or a spiritual counterfeit. Well, these simple commands reveal the true life-changing power of Jesus Christ in the life of the believer. It is the life that he produces in us that makes it possible to even consider Rejoicing always, praying continually, and giving thanks in every circumstance. When he enters a life, he changes it from the inside out so that we have both the power and the desire to rejoice, the power and the desire to pray, the power and the desire to give thanks, even in the worst moments of life. These are our standing orders, the standing orders of the gospel. I love that. And then a few scriptures that remind us of what we are thankful for and how we rejoice. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting and his truth endureth to the ancients, to the generations of our grandparents. Know the scripture again. Psalm 100 says his mercy is everlasting and his truth endureth to all generations. That includes mine It includes that of my niece and nephew, my grand niece and nephew and future generations yet unborn. God is faithful. His mercy is everlasting. The Lord is good.
And then there's Psalm 107.1. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, and his love endures forever. Psalm 145.7. They will celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. This is part of our marching orders, the standing orders of the gospel as we draw near to him, as we come to know him in a deeper and more profound way, we learn to walk in obedience and faithfulness and love. When the gospel is preached, it is a joyful sound to those that hear it. It is not one reason um, that the unchurched have so little use for the Christianity is that we are not joyful in proclaiming it. Well, this Thanksgiving, we have an opportunity to revisit these standing orders that have been given to us through the gospel and made possible in us through his son by the power of the spirit he has given to us as well. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be back to wrap things up. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the final segment of the Georgine Rice Show. I want to give you a heads up. Tomorrow on the program, we'll have a special uh, Thanksgiving program in which we focus on the history of this national occasion and of which several presidents have called for a national day of Thanksgiving, recognizing at least in their day that we are utterly dependent on the grace, the mercy and the provision of God that we first of all, exist, and that we have been able to continue uh, to prosper. Uh, So we'll talk a bit about that in the special tomorrow on the program. And then on Thanksgiving Day, our traditional program, The Story of Squanto, uh, that will span uh, both hours of the program. On Friday, uh, the Jerry Stewart special on Thanksgiving and the Christian Outlook, also focusing on issues and events surrounding the uh, National Day of Thanksgiving. All of that's coming up on the program for the remainder of this week. Well, again, returning to some of the day's headlines, U.S. energy experts are warning that the economic national security implications of the president's pact with China last week to move towards shutting down fossil fuel production in favor of green energy has very serious implications. The State Department announced this week it had struck a deal with its Chinese counterparts pledging to accelerate the substitution for coal, oil, and gas generation with green energy sources like wind and solar power. The nations, which account for nearly half of global greenhouse gas emissions, also agreed to deepen policy exchanges on reducing carbon emissions in various sectors like power, industry, buildings, and transportation across their economies. But the agreement in which the nations further pledged to sufficiently accelerate renewable energy deployment in their respective economies through 2030 was criticized over its potential impact on U.S. consumers. Experts also note that China has rarely followed through on international accords and stands to financially benefit from such an agreement since it controls much of the world's green energy supply chain and is not really beholden to stepping away from oil and gas. A pro-Palestinian group posted a picture of multiple locations around New York City in It alleges are associated with the genocide in Gaza. The group within our lifetime posted the map, which was later deleted with a headline of from Palestine to New York City, globalize the Intifada. According to the New York Post, the map stated that the locations were considered zones of direct action. Each of the sites on the map is tied to the ongoing genocide in Gaza and the settler colonization of Palestine. They reflect a network of uh, dispossession, policing, Prisons, surveillance, counterinsurgency, war, destruction, imperialism, militarization across the globe with a mass media complex which manufactures consent for genocide acting as tools of the oppressor. 
These sites are also multi-purpose assets for some of the system's most powerful per- perpetrators of violence. May this map serve as a call for every struggle to act in their own interest. As we do so, we lift one another's struggles and free Palestine from the river to the sea, the map read. And that was all in quotes. The group describes itself as a Palestinian-led community organization with 121,000 followers on Instagram. New York City political leaders commented on the map, saying it calls for violence against Jewish individuals and others. Coded calls for violence against Jews are proliferating on social media. Another uh, Democrat lawmaker in New York wrote on X. Mark Levine said Manhattan Bureau president uh, said the organization's actions are dangerous and reprehensible. The map has since been deleted, but not before being viewed by thousands, perhaps hundreds of thousands. Well, the Biden administration has confirmed that it has the authority to revoke the visas of foreign nationals who are living in the U.S., but who support terrorist groups such as Hamas, just as Republicans are urging the government to crack down on pro-Hamas foreigners. In a letter to Senator Marco Rubio, the State Department confirmed uh, that Hamas is a designated foreign terrorist organization and that the State Department does have the power to revoke visas. The Department of State also has broad authority under the Immigration and Nationality Act to revoke visas, the agency said. We exercise the authority when there is information or evidence indicating a visa holder may be ineligible for a U.S. visa. Additionally, it said that when it receives derogatory information indicating ineligibility, it takes immediate action, which can include revocation of visas. As for whether any um, visas have been revoked, the spokesperson said that visa records are confidential under U.S. law and therefore cannot discuss specific visa cases. National security is our top priority when adjudicating visa applications, the agency went on to say. Those answers come a week after Rubio quizzed Department of Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas on the matter, noting language in statute that those who espouse terrorist views are to be denied visas. Mayorka said that espousing or supporting terrorist activity could be the basis for the revocation and deportation of an individual. But thus far, that apparently has not been the case. The Minnesota legislature is expected to consider a measure next term that would legalize medical aid in dying. Minnesota Democratic Farmer Labor Party legislators plan to introduce the End of Life Option Act next session. The bill will allow physicians to dispense a life-ending medication to, medication may not be the right word, to terminally ill patients with less than six months to live by their estimation, medication that patients would need to ingest themselves. Medical aid in dying is already authorized in 10 states in Washington, D.C., Oregon being one of them. Kathy Blazer, co-executive director of the Minnesota Citizens Concerned for Life, shared the opinions of many pro-life activists who argue that nothing about the bill is humane. It does not bring compassion, Um, she said, uh, outside the Minnesota state capitol on Thursday of last week. It brings death. It does not bring better medical care. It brings a cheaper option for people, and it particularly targets our elderly, our disabled, our chronically and terminally ill. There are no safeguards that can make assisted suicide something that actually is something compassionate, that is safe, that doesn't discriminate against our weakest and most vulnerable patients. It actually doesn't end human suffering, she said. It ends a human life. Well, Blazier said the that assisted suicide doesn't get to the heart of the problem, nor find alternative ways to help suffering patients. It's just an easy way for insurance companies to save money on care, she went on to argue. New York Mayor Eric Adams slashed police and education budgets for illegal immigrants in the uh, in the state in his city. 
The uh, mayor announced on Thursday that his administration would be making significant cuts affecting NYPD and Education Department budgets, saying the cuts are necessary to deal with the ongoing illegal immigration crisis. Adams' budget cuts will freeze police hiring. The budget cuts will also slash the city's Education Department budget by more than a billion dollars over the next two years, affecting school programs and libraries. The cuts to the NYPD come just a month after Adams said the Big Apple needs more police officers as the city faces a rise in felony and misdemeanor assaults and car thefts. The mayor announced the $110.5 billion budget, claiming cuts across all departments were necessary after the city spent $1.45 billion in fiscal 2023 on the migrant crisis. The city is predicted to spend approximately $12 billion on the ongoing migrant crisis within the next two years. The budget cuts would cause NYPD officers to be cut by a fifth or 13.5 percent by postponing the next five uh, academy classes, bringing officers below 30,000 down to down from 36,000. He has pled with the administration, with the president to do something about our southern border. And this is uh, perhaps an an effort to gain the attention of those uh, who have the authority to do something. Well, we are out of time. I do want to thank James Blend for uh, producing and engineering today's program. Again, want to remind you that tomorrow we have a Thanksgiving Day special on Thursday, Thanksgiving Day, the Squanto uh, program that has become something of a tradition here and a Jerry Stewart special and the um, Christian Outlook on Friday's program. Well, I wish you all a, a wonderful Thanksgiving, that the focus is in all the right places, that you'll enjoy time with your family and friends and that your hearts will be filled with gratitude. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll be back on Monday live. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com. <laughs>